thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to the night before the 500 on this Inside Supercars special. We'll hear from David Sokols, who looks after the Hollywood Hilton. We'll also hear from Kevin Fitzsimmons about the tyres for 2018 and his thoughts on how they'll play out with a new brake package that is being run here this weekend. We'll also hear from Dean Fiore, who won the Dunlop Series race earlier today and Barry Ryan talks about how he found Anton Di Pasquale and how he's managed to fit into the team and that was before his remarkable third place in the shootout. But first David Reynolds spoke about his feelings on claiming a Bathurst pole. I've been putting pressure on myself all day, all day. I woke up this morning like four o'clock doing laps in my head, stressing out, had anxiety, everything, didn't sleep well, tried to sleep after lunchtime, couldn't get it done. I sound like a running commentator, don't I? <laughs> um, hey, auctioneer, yeah. And uh, yeah, got in the car, saw, I mean, watched Anton do his lap, he did a four three. I'm like, I don't know if I can actually beat that. Like, that's bloody fast. And then I uh, got in my car, pulled my socks up before I got in, tightened my belts, jumped in the car, and just let it happen. <laughs> but, you know, my car was obviously, our cars have been, they're phenomenal since they've, we rocked, rocked out of the truck. So, uh, yeah, mate, it's a credit to the team. You know, we, we stuck by our plan. Um, the guys at the engineering group have done a bang-up job on both our cars. Like, we're one and three. It's just it's an epic day for us. Jamie Winkup and the Red Bull Holden Racing Team had been showing the speed all through the dry sessions, but on the shootout lap, he said it was all he could do. Yeah, I, I got a good lap. Um, engineer did, did a good job. Car was fast, and uh, I, I sort of got the most out of it. Um, just the boys side me are fast. There's no, no other way to look at it. Um, watching Anton over the top, be a bit of a Scando flick into McPhillamy. I thought, <laughs> Jesus... Um, there's some there's got there's some grip there, but um, it's one thing having the grip, but you got to you got to maximise it as well. So um, uh, I think they're, they're doing a great job. We we did the best we could, and um, we we're only good for second today. Anton Di Pasquale put in a eye-opening lap that set the pace early on in the shootout. Eventually, qualifying in third. I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform, but um, obviously first Bathurst, so we knew qualifying wasn't really the most important thing of the weekend but you want to qualify as high as possible as you can so um, tomorrow is a very long day and yeah, I can't get too ahead of ourselves now we've just got to sort of be really comfortable tomorrow and sort of not make any mistakes and hopefully we're in for a really good result. John Bannon joins me now and John the shootout was a very interesting affair and uh, David Reynolds naturally ecstatic to be on the pole. Well what a, an afternoon for the uh, Erebus Motorsports squad uh, to have uh, there are two cars starting the 1,000 in, in first and third position. Uh, I'm sure uh, Betty Clemenko and, and all the hard-working team there at Erebus are just thrilled with the situation. Uh, as Dave said in the, the press conference, obviously tomorrow is a long day. They've got to take each lap as, as it comes and they've got to get through 161 of them uh, in order to be at the, at the, on the top step at the end. So, um, yeah, a long way to go, but uh, a result heading into tomorrow. Jamie Winkup out there of second position. He knows 
all about this race and is being really determined in the way he's talked about this year as redeeming a few mistakes over the past few years. Yeah, well, he's been really strong uh, the last few rounds and is really starting to put himself back into to championship contention. And obviously today, in some respects, he, he spoilt the fairy tale of the, uh, the Erebus 1-2 as he was the last one out on track. But uh, once again, it, it just goes to show uh, what a class act uh, the seven-time champion is in the sport. And um, look, uh, he, he would have to actually be the favourite tomorrow with the speed that he's had uh, overall. And interestingly, they've kept the car in the garage when it was wet. So if it does become a wet, they've got the most wet tyres available, almost certainly. Well, look, um, they do, but I, I think the chance of rain is, is pretty slim tomorrow. I think the latest forecast said you know, there may be some showers in the morning, but, but really, uh, I think we can pretty much expect a dry race unless things tra- change dramatically overnight. Well, the story of the shootout was Anton Di Pasquale sitting at the top of the leaderboard until the last two cars came out. His teammate bumps him, and then, of course, Wing Cup splits him. Well, of course, and, and being the only rookie in, in the shootout, uh, it's it's very impressive. I mean, there's a few factors here. Obviously, he's come to the team at the right time as, as Erebus have been on the rise, but uh, he's also been good enough to make the most uh, of those opportunities. And uh, look, he, he's one to watch for the future. Uh, there's, there's, he's had a very impressive first season. Uh, probably qualifying third is, is the cherry on top of the cake. And I guess we'll just see how he goes tomorrow and how their race uh, pans out with uh, another young, exciting co-driver in Will Brown. Yeah, that will be a very interesting rookie pairing for sure. Uh, the championship leader in the 97 is Shane Van Gisbergen, and he will start out at position number four. Indeed, and you know, it continues a, the solid uh, performance of the Red Bull um, Holden Racing Team. And uh, look, uh, really, qualifying to some degree in this race doesn't matter. Uh, it's 161 laps. In some respects, uh, anyone can win it from any position if they've got the right setup uh, for race day. So, uh, look, there's no doubt he'll be uh, one of the major threats. And after what happened in Sandown, uh, there's a very real possibility that uh, a Red Bull 1-2-3 will occur again tomorrow. Right, then at Scott McLaughlin, the leading light for the uh, Blue Oval Brigade. Well, obviously a, a very different year um, for him compared to, to last year after he set that uh, record lap uh, and uh, and had all the, the fans in rapture. So obviously the pace uh, in the DJR Penske forward uh, is not, not at the same level uh, as it was 12 months ago. Uh, but look, if uh, certain things go uh, his way in the race tomorrow, he's such a hard racer. He's an incredibly uh, talented uh, young driver and there's every every chance that um, he, he could be on the podium or, or even win tomorrow's event. Well, as we round out 6 through 10, uh, Cam Waters, then Nick Perkett, James Courtney, Craig Lowndes and Garth Tander, your thoughts on that back five? Well, firstly, uh, I guess uh, for Cam Waters, he's, he's given... Um, uh, pro driver a bit of a lift uh, after what has been a really tough season to have one of those cars uh, in the top 10 uh, how he goes tomorrow but you know if he manages to get a, a top 10 or a top 5 result uh, that would be a major major boost for that team uh, Garth Tander he's strong here every year uh, so look he'll be in the mix uh, tomorrow and it, it's to me that uh, you know in the last 20 laps of the race uh, he's always in that top five so uh, look he's, he's another outside chance for tomorrow. Uh, James Courtney uh, doesn't uh, traditionally do as well at Bathurst so it was really pleasing to see him uh, in the top ten and I'm sure uh, his fans will be hoping for a strong result and of course uh, 
there was no louder cheer uh, for anyone uh, other than Craig Lowndes. Uh, if you heard the fans right across the mountain uh, as he was doing his, his qualifying lap, you can see who the fans want to win tomorrow. And uh, I think there'll be a lot of, lot of uh, people uh, hoping to see the fairy tale uh, come true and what will be his f- final full-time season, but of course we can expect him back in future years. And Garth Tander, of course, rounding out that top ten. Now, a number of different stories right throughout the, this weekend so far. And, uh, of course, the, the hand grenade uh, had the pin pulled on it down at Tickford Racing when the announcement about uh, Mark Winterbottom uh, was brought out on Wednesday. And that has certainly got a lot of talk and uh, a lot of people scratching their heads at the same time. Yeah, and it's, of course, difficult to know exactly what's going on there. Uh, read between the lines of... Uh, the various press releases and, and what's been put out already by the media, it would seem to me that uh, Tickford have made uh, Frosty an offer and uh, and obviously there's the, the speculation about um, Team 18. But, um, maybe it's a case that the the offer from Tickford is not enough and, and um, he's, he's looking elsewhere. So, uh, you know, that would be a, a massive call, having um, obviously been the Ford hero uh, for, for so many years to, to switch but uh, I guess that's a big wait and see. And then, of course, uh, Speed Cafe uh, broke the story about the extractive being in Simona Di Silvestro's car, and that was uh, a huge story to see that the development of the sorry the tech of that extractive, uh, which looks likely to come into the series full time next year, has uh, made its way into a main game car, and not just at any round at the biggest round of the year. What we're going to see, though, is another huge crowd, a really good crowd here on Saturday. Well, for, for Craig Lowndes' last full-time gig, uh, you can expect that. So, uh, you know, we'll probably, um, everyone will, will, will come out. I use the biggest name in the sport. Uh, and as uh, I think we've discussed before, a testament to how well you're known is how well you're known outside motorsport. And I think if most people said, who do you know that's a racing car driver in Australia? If they knew nothing about motorsport, the one name they'd be able to say is Craig Lowndes. So you can expect that not just the diehard fans will be here tomorrow, but your casual observer as well, who, who would like to pay their tribute uh, to uh, you know one, one of the greats of our sport. A tip now, have you moved from where we were on Tuesday night when we did the uh, regular show? No, I, I still think Jamie Wincup is the, is the one to beat, although uh, having witnessed... Uh, what Arab achieved today, uh, their confidence will be up, uh, and uh, look, they'll they'll not feel invincible, but they'll certainly feel like they can go back to back. David actually said in the press conference that he feels a bit more relaxed this time round because monkey's off the back from last year. So, look. Um, It'll be a really tight battle between Triple Eight and, and Erebus, uh, but I, I still think Win Cup's got the edge at this stage. Well, John, pleasure to catch up with you once again here on Inside Supercars. And thank you for the opportunity, Craig. And uh, you know we're all really looking forward to tomorrow's uh, great race. Yes, we are. But we've got plenty more coming up on the night before the 1000 here with Kevin Fitzsimmons up after the break. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two lovers to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to grab, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Well, Kevin Fitzsimmons from Dunlop Motorsport with the changes with the brakes for the endurance races. How does that work back to what can happen with the tyre? Because there's no independent change that doesn't affect how the tyre holds the road and how then everything else falls from that. Yeah, well, you know, sort of with the, the brake situation and that shouldn't be too much of an issue for us uh, at Bathurst, I wouldn't think. Um, the, the, the temperatures will be the same and all, that, all of that, so it'll just be a matter of the teams have got to be uh, super switched on and just sort of have a look at that. But, you know, they'll just give them a bit more bite. Um, um, after pad changes, they're gonna, the engineer's going to be on the radio reminding them, you know, pump the pedal, all this sort of caper and everything, all the things that you think are pretty basic, but when the heat of the battle is you leave that pit lane, just goes out the window, you know, you, you forget that. So that, you know, a lot of that comes back down to the engineers and the guys on the radio just being calm and, and remind them of things. We've seen multiple crashes at Turn 2 at Bathurst with guys uh, putting their foot on the brake pedal and she's straight to the floor, and unfortunately with the nature of the, the way the... the um, two master cylinder system works in these cars which is a safety thing when the front ones uh, go down like that it's like pulling the handbrake on because everything's on the rear and uh, that's why they turn around backwards and go into the uh, the tyre bundle which has got a conveyor belt on it which then acts like a ramp and tips the thing on its side so you know it's a flow process so all being well um, it won't create any issues at all for us it's just a matter of keeping on on temperatures um, we've had guys there in the past uh, that run significant blanking in the uh, in the brake ducts and everything to reduce the amount of airflow through the rotor, which creates a, a very big heat build-up. Um, once again, that all transfers through wheel bearings into hubs, into um, into wheels, into into tyres. You know, so it's that type of scenario. But in general, uh, teams will run a higher pressure at Bathurst because of the vertical load that's even like hitting the thing on the head with the sledgehammer all the time, and um, that will assist in in that uh, in that way without uh, the, the case flexing as much and don't build up as much heat. So all being well, we'll uh, have, won't have any dramas here either. That'd be great. <laughs> we see we speak to you quite often we've spoken to nick bates over at uh, competition frictions over the years how much do you have to work with suppliers and talk to other suppliers of other components when you're looking at tires and how the tire can improve what you're doing yeah it's 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 a good point you know like um when we were looking at the uh the 2017 spec tyre when we tested that mid 2016 early 2016 um and the braking distance shortened significantly i rang nick and just sort of said you know just so you know this thing's got much better braking performance and everything because of course that fix you know affects his component um so that that type of scenario we do tend to talk if various things are you know are, are going on as to what may affect you or may or, or not so um but in general the the package like the the, the rotor that we're going to and everything's not a, a massive difference it's not going to give them a huge amount more bite or anything else like that so it shouldn't really affect anything from my end um you know, so that, that's the good thing. If you all of a sudden you had a pad and a, and a thing that gives you know a pad and a rotor that gives you a massive amount of bite and everything else, that could lead to flat spotting your tyres and it creates a problem. You know, but once again that comes down to the, the engineers and the guy that's pushing the pedal. You know, and all of a sudden if the glove box starts smoking, you know you've got a problem. But the problem being at, at, at places like Bathurst and that going into the chase, you know, you you have a, a brake lock up for half a second and. And uh, by the time you see the smoke coming out of the glove box, sort of thing, you've uh, you've, you've travelled 60 metres with it locked up, and um, the tyres are only four mil thick. 
from when they're brand new sort of deal so to uh, flat spot the uh, the tyre right to the, through to the point where it goes flat doesn't take very long at all so you know it's it's uh, it's a feel thing um, you know guys are I've already had a bit of a play with them. They're going to run them at Sandown as well, I think. So um, uh, yeah, by the time we get to Bathurst, I should be well and truly uh, in tune with that package. And what about people like Oscar, who does uh, shock absorbers? Do you have to talk to them because the sidewall these days is part of the engineering package for suspension? Yeah, that's the, the benefit of um, of using the 16-spec tyre is it's a known quantity. It wasn't a, a, a learning curve for them uh, like last year's tyre was stiffer in the sidewall. Um, and the uh, the way the tread to the sidewall join um, uh, flexes a lot more with this tyre than what it did with last year's, and that's where we had the had the issue last year. It would actually split uh, when it was overloaded. Um, so they they get a handle on that pretty pretty quickly and everything, and can translate it across to their their programming and and get the valving right. Um, you know, bump and rebound, and the you know they've got the more switches on the you can poke a stick out at the moment, sort of thing, and everything. It's a very very fine art uh, with with shock absorbers, but uh, they're always playing with things, whether it be ride height or um, two springs, one spring. You know, like it's uh, it's all over the place, sort of thing. But um, everybody works with their own package. Um, the tyres are one thing that we can't change, and as I said, the benefit being the construction stays the same between the two uh, compounds, the super soft and the soft. I get the feeling you're a bit disappointed that the the 17 tyre didn't get almost a fair hearing, if you like, because it was nobbled by the engineers, really. Yeah, you're true. Um, That was my baby, that was my tyre, and... um yeah, you know, it's sort of uh, Philip Island when they were pinging off there. It's sort of like just shake your head and go, like, "Dudes, what are you doing?" You know. And um, lessons learnt from the the previous uh, Dunlop Super Two race with a couple of teams that had teams involved in it, um, and uh, then still went out with more camber on the rear than what they had on their Super Two car that had already had a problem. And that you just shake your head sometimes and go, "Like, what are you doing?" You know. But uh, as I said, we're in the business of going fast. Um, but faster and not reliable is not a not a good race package, you know. It's uh, it's not that type of thing. If you've got a 120k race, you've got to make it last 120k. There's no put no good in pitting the thing at you know, lap 35 type of deal, you know. So, um, but yeah, you know, it was just it was disappointing, definitely. But from the brand point of view um, and the fans, the teams, the owners, the drivers, um, supercars themselves and putting the show on and that, it was a no-brainer to go back to uh, something with a bigger operating window. Um, you, know, you can walk around and beat them all with a stick as much as you like, but if, as I said, they're going to they're get a gain and make the thing go faster by pushing the boundaries, absolutely. That's the business we're in, you know, so we had to make the working operation operational window of the tyre tire bigger. And um, this other tyre, although it's not 100% ideal, and we all know it's it's narrow, we're, we're hamstrung by an 11-inch wide wheel. Um, there's a lot of things that, that make it difficult. So, um, you know, it is what it is. We, they still want to have a tyre that's the same tyre all around the car. So teams can swap them left to right, front to back, corner to corner, all those type of things, which is very, very unique in world motorsport. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to... You know, I'd love to go to Bathurst with that 17 tyre and just put it on there for a shootout, the super soft compound, and just see what we could do. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty cool. How many do you have left? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a funny question. Um, we've actually got um, only about a dozen of the uh, the soft um, left, and uh, there's just under 300 of the super soft, and that's um, only come about because we had tyres in stock for wild cards. Um, last year that didn't eventuate and um, we held on to those tyres but we're gradually whittling that down now there's a couple of sports sedan guys that have uh, uh, have had a bit of a try on them um, a bit of a run up in Sydney and um, 
you know, it's uh, there's a couple of cars that have been sold to New Zealand, a couple of cars that have been sold to uh, Malaysia and over to the UK and things like that. So we're, we're gradually whittling it down a little bit, um, firing a few tyres over there. So uh, a couple of teams have been helpful to us there, sort of to say, hey, look, we can supply this with some tyres, that'd be great. So, yeah, if not, we've got a heap of coffee tables in a couple of years. <laughs> Kevin, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for your time once again. Yeah, no problems, thanks. After the break, it's David Suckholz the manager of the Bathurst Hilton. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars and we've run into Dale Sudholz, who's a long-time Fomico man, well he was a Moffat man actually, but uh, did his training back in the days of Stills. Welcome on board to Inside Supercars, Dale. Yes, good morning to all. And long-time motorsport man and how many years with the Bathurst Hilton? Uh, we've been doing the Bathurst Hilton for 36 years now. So right, okay. Volunteer. So it was, you retired from motorsport just to go and do the Bathurst Hilton, didn't you? Well, I went to Bathurst in 69 was the first time, and I've been every year since, plus the 12 hour I've been this five years now. So we kind of like the place. And we've done this Bathurst Hilton, Kenny Turner and I, for the last 36 years, and we've got a huge marquee on site there, and we've got about 33, 34 guests staying with us this year. And that's on that bitumen road coming into uh, the back of the pit area. So it's a ripper location. We've got red carpet out to the edge of the driveway and that. And we get lots and lots of visitors from people, a lot of teams, and drivers. Great celebrities, come on in. Come on in, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Okay, just going back to your start of motorsport, you originally from Horsham? Yes. And did mechanical apprenticeship? Or? Uh, no, I was going to go on the family farm, but then decided to, uh, I was more interested in playing with cars and speedway uh, um, uh, hot rods at the time back in Horsham and then uh, came to Melbourne and entered the motor industry in a, at Stills in 69. Okay, and Stills was uh, a large part of it was uh, just servicing road cars and then you were training. Yes, I ended up, uh, at the last couple of years there, I was the apprentice master and that was an era where you could do a lot of training for uh, uh, government subsidies and on-the-job on full-time training of apprentices. So they weren't sweeping the floor for the first year or so. They were right into working on vehicles and we had our own workshop and, and, and Bib Stillwell, who was a, a great advocate for uh, training of young people, he was a, a marvellous uh, boss to work for and uh, it was a wonderful time. And so I did that for a couple of years and then in January 77, uh, Mick Webb came and saw me one day and he said, there's a job going down at Moffat's. There's a chap just coming out from America, a bloke by the name of Carol Smith, and uh, I told him about you that you might um, might want to go and work there. What's how you ring him? So I did, and uh, we went down and I had a meeting with Carol one evening, and a couple of hours later we worked through a number of issues, including contracts and pays and job descriptions and one thing or another, and uh, so I went back to Stillies and handed in notice, and then... Um, Started at uh, Moffat's uh, a week or two later and was there for six months full time. And that was January '77. So first job was build Colin Bond's car, get that ready, and off we went racing. We did all those one-two races in the in the um, no, Touring Car times. Championship. 
Uh, I was crew chief, so I was number one mechanic in uh, today's vernacular, and uh, had two offsiders. And uh, I used to do the, all of Alan's car, engine on Collins, and uh, D- Andrew used to do the rest of uh, Collins' car. And who are the other guys that work with you? Uh, Andrew Bartley was uh, my offsider, and uh, Dennis Watson, who uh, both went, went, on, went on to have wonderful careers yeah. in, uh, in motorsport. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Amazing times. Yep, and, and one, of the, one of the things with those one-two finishes, of course, we went on and, and, and got to an unassailable lead within six race meetings won everything, Colin came second in virtually all of them and that gave us 1-2 in the championship unassailable loop so uh, never been it done before won the first six races Alan did, uh, Tassie was a two race meeting down there on that um, first round and then the rest of them were single races but we went on and uh, won all of those and then in, the, in Adelaide they reversed the order because Colin was just a little behind in the points and so uh, he won the race and uh, Alan ran shotgun that day, so pretty good era. Yeah. Pretty good era. Would you call yourself an accidental race mechanic or uh, a racing person? Sort of. I, I'd followed car racing very closely, as close as you could. Um, I used to do the wheel alignments on all the Stillwell race cars, which were the Formula Fords, Formula 3 uh, and the Escorts and that sort of thing, that BDA car. did those for a number of years, part-time, after hours and different things. And... Um, and that was just a little flair I had of um, suspensions and wheel alignments at Stillies and um, before I went into the training side of the job. So uh, that was just, I had a love of suspensions, you know, and, and seeing things go around the corner really well. And became absolutely critical through that 70s because it was where your cars were seen to be particularly, well, you had a huge engine, but particularly good at handling. Yes, yes. And, and, and Carol Smith was a, he wasn't an engine man, he was an organiser, and he was a suspension and brakes man, and, and making sure that things were reliable. So he came from a, some aeronautical engineering background, and he applied that science to race cars, and the same theory that they had to be lightweight, they had to be reliable, and they had to be, one they, once they were in the air or on the track, they had to be reliable and not come back in until they were ready to, and that they also were easy to check as far as pre, pre-flight, pre-race checks and that sort of thing. Al, uh, Carol had a systems in place. He's taken young guys off the street kind of thing and turned them into his people. So he was not trying to teach old dogs new tricks. He was teaching new dogs his way and the Carol Smith way. It was, in fact, the era when Volkswagen mechanics were well sought after because they'd been trained in that same sort of systematic way of doing things. They were looked sort of... You were it still was then in the Richard Knight era. Uh, Richard Knight was back there and Tubby Ritter and uh, uh, a wonderful era of GD Falcons in the workshop every day and HOs were just, I hate to say it, dime a dozen, but we used to have a lot in there. And, and a chap in spare parts was very proactive in selling performance parts of exhausts and cams and four-barrel carbies and twin-point dizzies. You could buy all of that stuff across the counter from a dealership. And, and Richard uh, Knight was over there, and he used to uh, uh, push that really hard. Richard Clark, sorry. And he uh, uh, and so the workshop used to do the, the fitment of those parts and that sort of thing. I, in fact, worked for a guy called Colin Himes, who had a still sold and prepared and serviced GDHO. Yeah, it was our tow vehicle. Yeah. And I was actually told that it was the hardest accelerating GDHO, an automatic, hardest accelerating one that was ever tested by Stills. You would have any knowledge of that? <laughs> uh, no, family secrets there. We don't talk about <laughs> road testing clients' cars. <laughs> so how long were you involved in motor racing as a, a mechanic crew chief 
and what brought that to an end? Uh, I was with Alan for six months and we, uh, we uh, went our separate ways in June of um, 77. I then went and worked for uh, Graham, um, uh, sorry, Jim Keogh for a couple of weeks on his car and Rusty French found me and we, uh, we did a deal and I went and built that black two-door of his which we ran here at Sandown in 77 uh, and Bathurst 78. Um, I then went back to the retail motor industry at Morley Ford and worked full-time there for about another 18 months or so. In the meantime, I ran a race team out of Western Australia, which was Rod Donovan, who ran that that blue coupe with uh, Craig McAllister back in 78. And, and I prepared that car with them, or managed them, via sending them letters of a list of things they needed to do with a carbon copy that I'd keep, and I'd send the original and say, ring me and we'll talk about these items. We didn't have the internet, we didn't have anything else, a fax machine, none of that had been invented in, in 78. And then we met up and we ran, uh, ran the team at Bathurst that year and, uh, and managed to finish the race and, uh, and a little bit of history in that car is still, in fact it's running at Baskerville in the Historics next weekend, that, that Falcon. There's a lot of blue oval stuff in there, did you ever put a spanner on a red one? Uh, what's a red thing? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's been blue, true and true, and I, I don't know why. The family were originally holding on the farm years ago and then suddenly turned turned blue and been blue ever. Okay. And then, that, of course, I went to Heath, Heathcote in 1980 and I had my own Ford dealership there for many years yeah. sort of thing and, and only recently uh, sold, uh, sold out my business and retired. So here we are today. So the, the Hilton at Bathurst, how yeah. did that come about? How did you come together with that or the, the idea? How did it grow? A friend of mine and I went to Bathurst together uh, in 83 and we set up a bit of a marquee and tent and we were, thought we were pretty uh, cool there and somebody said, well, this feels like the Hilton, the Bathurst Hilton, and the name stuck. And so we've gone on and these days, uh, especially since 2000, we've had a, a large marquee on site and we can have anything up to uh, 30 or mid-30s uh, number of people come along and they're just friends of friends. It's all just contacts. Some of, Half of them would be returning people, others are new to the Hilton. And we, um, we do some great meals there and it just all comes together and it's an extraordinary thing. And, um, but we, uh, we own the business name of the Bathurst Hilton. We've got that up in lights and red carpet and we have lots of guest drivers come and see us during the weekend. And uh, uh, Dale Wood, for example, Woody's been coming to our campsite for the last 14 years to give a talk on the, on the Thursday evening and things like that. And uh, he's got a great following at it and we've been you know, great fans of his over the years. I guess when did it go from you guys just having a place to stay to watch Bathurst to becoming almost an enterprise when oh, getting catering and all that sort of thing? Yeah, early 2000s is when we really got stuck into that sort of thing and every year we go back and do something bigger and better or go a day earlier and that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's really flourished in those last uh, 15 years. What do you think of motor racing in 2018? I think it's in a good space. I enjoy it still. It's uh, it's very close. It's very professional. They're running at very high level of um, engineering and expertise amongst the teams. And I still know a lot of the guys along Pitt Strait. And, and you think, well, these guys could go and work anywhere in the world with their expertise. And, and the engineering, the technologies, and they're chasing thousands. They're not chasing seconds like we were 40 years ago. And, and that's how it's... And they're all at that level. So it's a wonderful level. I think it's very good, and, and, and I follow it closely, and I do sort of eight or nine rounds a year uh, around Australia and that sort of thing, and it's, I think it's in a good space. When you think about the training and the basic blocks that you received and you then passed on to others when you were doing apprentice training and you look at what these guys are learning now, is it, is it 
a big difference in what you see, the basics that they get taught compared to what you had to learn? Yes, at the track things are so ready and organised. I mean, what they do back in the workshop is where the where the preparation lies. And, and I always think that Carol Smith brought that to Australia in the way, level of preparation by having managed, senior management, people who are good at that sort of sort of thing are able to train people and direct them and encourage them and do the things in the workshop. All the preparation was done there. When you got to the racetrack, you tested. It wasn't practice. What were you practicing for? You tested, you qualified, you raced in that order. And and because the, the amateurs of the day, they went there and were still putting things on the car when they got to the track. You see these guys roll out 26 cars out of the transporters today and every one of them is ready to go. And it's fine-tuning from there. Yeah, one of the great things that I've seen over the 20 years, 25 years I've been doing race facts, is to see in which the finger problems of the 90s have disappeared. The, those you know, hose belts, uh, all those sorts of things that, that go wrong, you know, crank sensors, that they've disappeared. Because I, I think there's an interesting, because I don't think it's just training. I think it's also the fact that the teams are organised so people aren't having to do the all-nighters, so they're not having to work in a way that is detrimental to their health and therefore jeopardise the way in which things are done. And that's fantastic to see, and it's largely money. I mean, you, before, when I started back in the early 70s on these things, the budgets for, you know, catering budget was run a race team for two years <laughs> that nowadays, you know, feeding 40 or so people. But it's extraordinary to see the way in which it's developed, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and, and that... You look at some of these team managers up and down pit lane here today and they could go in anywhere on the world stage and, and run a, a, an efficient team that would do that thing where all the preparations done in the workshop, the spare parts that are in the truck, they are ready to go on a car if need be. Then you go testing and you qualify and you race and that's how they do it. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to Dale Sudholz of the Bathurst Hilton. Um, and I hope that everybody who listens to Inside Supercars, if they get to Bathurst, calls by the Bathurst Hilton and says hello, because I'm sure they'll be greeted well. They so certainly will be. Time. Look forward to it. Thank you. After the break here on the night before the 1000, it's Barry Ryan, and we also hear from the Dunlop Super 2 winner in Dean Fiore. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Your time here, both in the top ten shootout. Yeah, it was, it was really good, like, exceptional for Anton more than, you know, Dave's second, and we almost overlooked that and expect it now, but um, for Anton, for a rookie, first time in a main game car in the dry, and he had to be chucked in the deep end and he qualified ninth, it's, you know, exceptional effort, and there's still a lot that he left out on the racetrack because he hadn't had time to come back in and see what Dave was doing, and, you know, now he's had a sleep on it, I don't know, he can go faster, I'm sure they both can, so... What do you have to tell him about the shootout, though, being it's his first shootout? Oh, we'll just keep it pretty simple for him. We don't want him to make any mistakes. It's more about Sunday, really, but you know, we, we want to give him the opportunity to have a crack of pole. If he, if he thinks he's got the car or the ability to do it, why not? Your cars, compared to the other 
um, ZBs in the field. Do you think, looking at the season so far, you've got some advantages in places, or uh, are they all are they all that even? Yeah, I, I don't know. We've based our setup on what we had here last year with the VF. And um, the ZB is actually a little bit slower in a straight line, like over about 220 kilometres an hour. So there's a bit more drag, it seems, but we hadn't learnt that yet. So qualifying was the first chance to learn that. So there's a little bit more we can stream with the car, I think, to improve that a bit and maybe improve the balance. So yeah, but I don't think our ZB is any better than anybody else's. And yeah, I think the parity is still there. Is is the game about um, pulling off, pulling off wing and? taking off downforce just to get speed or is it so important to set up further across the top? There's a little bit of both, like speed is a good thing down the straight, you can pass people, it's probably it is the easiest place to pass people here but you don't want to have a nervous car over the top either so at the moment our car is far from nervous, it's, it's probably the other way so we can afford to reduce a bit of downforce and try and get some more straight line speed This weekend, is it going to be pit lane whether you think this race is won or lost, or is it speed on the track? Oh, it's going to be everything. You just can't make a mistake. And you know, we, We've got a big thing last year and this year, minimising errors. So if you make a mistake, it's got to look like it didn't happen, and you lose a little bit of time, you brush it off and you keep going. So last year we, we, we almost said we were perfect in pit lane, but we were far from perfect when you look deep into it. But we minimised errors. So, yeah, you, you can win this race by just minimising errors, but... It's not going to be one in pit lane or on the track. It's going to be a combination. You've got to get everything right. Yeah, you can't. You can't be 20 seconds behind with 20 laps to go these days. You've got to be in the lead pack and um, with a fast car. How many strategies have you got for the day, or are you not that type of person that strategizes every possible outcome? You just go 20 laps to go, and we're going to put the put foot to the floor. Yeah, like. Larry Perkins used to say to me because I worked for him for a lot of years that a fast car wins Bathurst and it's still that you've got to have a fast car so we've got lots of strategy options but there's probably the fast car is the only strategy that works so um, yeah we've got every, everything under the sun we can think of and every scenario but you know after lap one everything can change there's a red flag or you know big crash and you might end up a half a lap down and you've got to try and get it back so yeah, we've got the perfect strategies worked out, but it's never perfect here. It's usually by lap two or three, you're going, what are we going to do now? So, yeah, but just a fast car. That's that's what you need. Well, Barry, pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, all the yeah. best for the shootout and on to tomorrow. Great, thank you. Dean Furrer, congratulations. Yeah. Victory at Bathurst always uh, makes that champagne taste sweeter. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's um, This is a place to win, and, um, yeah, it was an extraordinary race, and... Um, yeah, grateful to be on top step, and yeah, the champagne does taste sweet. An interesting race too, and a, a challenging race because 250k's, the main game drivers only do that two or three times a year. Yeah, that's right. I mean, around here it's a bit different, but it's like a double stint. Um, but it's a perfect warm up for the big race tomorrow. What does this result give you for getting back in with uh, Michael and, and Team Italy there? Yeah, um, just laps basically, laps and experience. Um, it's Like I said, it's the ideal prep. Your body's ready to go for tomorrow and um, yeah, the cars are pretty similar. So um, we've got a bit of work to do in, that, in the 23 in the main car but um, hopefully we'll be there in the last hour and Michael can fight. 250 laps, so I think you've got the same brake package as what they're running in the main game. 
any issues at all or any concerns because uh, everyone expected to get 500 laps of practice mm. or 500 k's of practice on these on this particular brake package, and it hasn't panned out that way. No, I mean that, that they were new for quali, so. Um yeah, I was actually surprised to get a bit of, bit of fade there. Um, I thought they would do more than that. Um, typically, you do pads probably after every third stint. So, um, yeah, I was surprised with that pedal throw, but we're running um, a slightly different package in main game. All the best. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Time for here on the night before the 1000. Until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.